Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. You've heard us say it before. The 2020 presidential election was met with record voter turnout. Several states across the country made it easier for Americans to cast their vote amid the deadly coronavirus pandemic. The entire system of elections in the United States is for the most part set around the whole construct of having all the foxes guard the hen house. Because if all the foxes are guarding the hen house, then they're not going to let some other fox go grab those eggs. And so understand there's a context to elections that in most cases, in most places works very well because you've got strong partisans from both sides or multiple sides. Welcome to Dead Men Don't Vote. podcast where you, the American voter, have the opportunity to understand how elections really work and how you can help improve the process and restore confidence in American democracy. We will interview leading election experts, explore election controversies, and demystify election administration. From voter registration to ballot casting and counting, results reporting, and on through to certification and audits. We'll answer all your burning questions. Is vote by mail safe? How are foreign countries trying to interfere in our elections? And yes, do dead people actually vote? And we hope you will listen, like the future of our country depends on it. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. If country borders and grids can fascinate you, and state names intrigue you, if atlases, globes, city plans, subway maps, and of course, world maps are your thing, if you can name the capital city of Namibia, and if you get giddy about flags, you are in the right place. This is Map Corner, a podcast about the love of maps brought to you by Royfield Brown and Claire Asprey. Now on with the show. Hello and welcome to Map Corner. I'm Royful Brown, who is back in California, which puts me at 38 degrees uh, 0.6 uh, and some minutes north and 122 uh, degrees and 14.9 degrees west. And Claire Asprey. Now, shock horror, everybody. If you are a regular listener to this podcast, you'll know our Claire never moves. But today, Claire Asprey, where are you? Da, 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 da. Somewhere else. Uh, I'm at 51.6 degrees north and 1.8 degrees west in Swindon, Wiltshire, UK. Good heavens. Map Corner is the podcast dedicated to the love of maps and to all things cartophilic. So if Peter's is your projection, you're in the right place. And this episode, hot on the heels of our International Women's Day special. We are also talking about amazing women, uh, with an amazing woman, uh, to author Rosemary J. Brown about the journalist Nellie Bly and both of their travels around the world. 
And today we have an audio postcard from an old stalwart, our old mucker, Nick Roworth, who's in Holland. Uh, so um, that's most excellent. Now, don't forget to review us on Apple Podcasts or on other podcast platforms, because what that does, it means that we get more listeners to the podcast if we have some spanking reviews. So if you haven't reviewed us already, please do so now. Excellent. And I will go back and read some of those. Well, let's read some out next time round, perhaps. That's um, a so, very good idea. Yeah. Uh, so we are again live on Zoom with a whole bunch of lovely Map Corner listeners. And if you want to join in with our next broadcast, uh, join our Facebook group or, or um, be able to get all the details of the link. And then if you're not on Facebook, send us a message on Twitter to ask for a link. Uh, we normally record on the first Saturday of the month at 6 p.m. UK time, which is 1 p.m. Eastern and 10 a.m. Pacific, although not next month. What's happening then, Claire? Next month, my cousin and her husband are having a joint 60th birthday party on the 2nd of April, and I'm not going to be around. So we're doing the 9th of April instead. Claire, couldn't you ask them just to shift that very slightly? Because this is actually very important. Nah. Fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh... Well, we want to welcome Rosemary J. Brown. Or should I just call you Rosemary? Um, <laughs> yeah, so Rosemary's an author who's written about the amazing travels of Nellie Bly uh, and has also followed Nellie Bly's footsteps around the world. So welcome to Matt Corner, Rosemary. And uh, do you want to tell us a bit about how you got interested in Nellie's life and journey? Yes, um, I'm very, very pleased to be here and to see all these lovely listeners. Um, Yes, I've always been fascinated by women who traveled, particularly in the Victorian times, because it was not an easy time to travel. Um, Women were supposed to know their place, and it certainly wasn't going around the world. Um, So, like on Sundays, I used to to get books and scroll through the internet and and just kind of live their lives. Um, And one Sunday I was just surfing on the net and Nellie Bly came up and I say in my book that she jumped off the screen at me and she did practically and she's still with me. And so um, I was, it's honest, I was looking for somebody who's, who I could follow perhaps in their footsteps. And there was a whole range of women and we just don't ever hear about them. Um, but Nellie didn't give me any other choice. It was her. Um, and I, I, I said, okay, Nellie, I'm going to follow you around the world. And, and that's how it happened. And this is quite a few years ago. And she's still with me because I wouldn't be here with you if it weren't for Nellie Bly. <laughs> Tell us a bit about Ro- uh, Nellie's journey around the world. Well, it's very interesting because, as you know, um, from uh, that Nellie Bly was a journalist and um, she was, in fact, a a very good journalist. And she's credited with inventing or creating pioneering investigative journalism. So if you don't mind me backtracking a little bit, I just like to mention that because otherwise she would never have gone around the world. So some of you might know you might have heard of 10 Days in a Madhouse which is when Nellie Bly went undercover in the Blackwell Island uh, Lunatic Asylum. Um, It's now Roosevelt Island. And she uh, convinced the authorities that she was crazy. 
And she was she was only going to go for a few days, but they were so convinced that she really was bananas that they kept her in. But while she was there, she captured the stories of very tragic stories of women. And she said, um, even if you weren't crazy when you went in, by the time you got out, you would be. And there were it, there were abuses going on um, and she captured them. She wrote about them. Joseph Pulitzer the, the, of the newspaper she was writing for had to send a, a lawyer to get her out. And when she get, got out, boy, um, she wrote quite a few stories. And then she wrote her book, 10 Days in the Madhouse. And that set her up as a very good journalist. So she became one of the favorites of the New York world and, and Joseph Pulitzer's newspaper. And um, that's why I believe when she said to them, I have a story idea, I'd like to go around the world and see if I could do it faster than Phileas Fogg. When she presented the idea to the editor, he said, wow, that's a super idea. That's great. It's wonderful. But we'll have to send a man. Because you... Um, you'll need so many trunks for your clothes. You'll need a chaperone. You don't speak any other languages. It's got to be a man. And Nellie Bly said, fine, send a man. I'm going to the competing newspaper and let's just see who wins this race. Well, they, they didn't have a choice. They had to let her go. But I don't think she would have had that kind of clout without having done the um, undercover story, which to this day makes a difference, which is the beginning. She pioneered investigative journalism, the kind of journalism that changes the world. And so that to me is her greatest accomplishment, not going around the world, but actually creating a type of journalism that can really, really make a difference. Um, so that's how she she got the uh, position. They did not. Uh, they did. They sat on it for almost a year, and then just a few days before they wanted her to go, they said, "Nellie, can you please go around the world now in three days?" And she said, "I can go this very minute if you like." Um, they said, "No, it's it's okay." So she had just a few days to um, get her outfit. It's a coat, but underneath it is a dress. And this became iconic. This this uh, kind of plaid houndstooth coat and her bag, which is 16 by 7 inches, and her deerstalker hat that she called very English. So she had, she had that made within 24 hours because she knew she didn't want to take very many clothes because she only wanted to carry that bag. So that's the outfit that she wore around the world in 72 days. But just in case you're worried, um, there were they. she was able to wash all her underclothes and things. And so she, it, was, <laughs> it wasn't um, as bad as it sounds. And it really did mean she didn't have to, she didn't have to check in any trunk. She, she just carried her bag around the world. And I did the same thing. Um, my bag was a rucksack, a rolling rucksack, slightly larger than hers, but very small. And we both had a wonderful sense of freedom because you know yourself as if you love maps, it probably means you love traveling. Your suitcase can get lost. Um, it can hold you up while you're waiting around for it. It can get stolen and then you're really doomed. But if you've always got it right next to you, it's 
much easier and much more freeing to travel. I don't want to sound... Obviously, we sat here in 2022, right? Women yeah. only get the vote in the United Kingdom in the United States after the First World War. This is some years before that. Yes. If I'd have been her editor as well uh, at that time, I'd have said, nah, right? This is really dangerous because whilst it's one thing to travel in the United States and in Europe, she's going to be traveling in bits of the world which are, didn't even have the somewhat enlightened attitude towards women traveling alone you know, which even then in the United Kingdom, in the United States, would have been peculiar in the extreme. So it must have been incredibly dangerous. It was to a certain extent. and But she was very, very courageous. And in fact, <clears throat> she was, it was suggested that she carry a gun. And she said, there, no way, I'm not going to carry a gun. I intend for people to treat me the same way I treat them, with friendship. Um, and so she was not going to have any part of carrying a gun. Uh, she did have one instance where um, someone fell in love with her on a ship and wanted them to jump overboard <laughs> because clearly they weren't going to have lives together in real life. So he, he wanted them to drown together in the ocean. But she wrangled her way out of that um, situation. <laughs> <laughs> that seems like quite an easy choice. <laughs> Yeah. But it does not seem like a, a stable bet. No, no. But other than that, she was relatively safe. Um, it, but she did, some of the ships got in terrible storms and she was thrown across the deck and all kinds of places. But she, and she'd never even been on a boat when she started in November uh, 1889. She'd never even been on a boat. And she gets on there and, and yeah. So yes, it does sound, we did say when we were chatting beforehand that the truth is often stranger than fiction, but this is the truth and she did do it. Um, and in fact, when she did, she was called the best known and most widely talked of young woman on earth today. That's what was in the newspaper in 1890 when she won the race. And she was also said to, to have achieved one of the most amazing feats of human navigation at the time. So she did do it. She actually did it. The truth is stranger than fiction. Saw many of the places. My goal in following her was to get her back on the map. Get her back on the map. She was hidden through the centuries. She was hidden. And I thought, how could we not know about this amazing woman who pioneered investigative journalism and circled the world faster than anybody ever had in 1890 uh, when she was even she wasn't even supposed to be walking the streets of New York without a chaperone but she went around the world without a chaperone so I was just gonna say and the, and the thing that always amazed me when I first came to this story was that like it was amazing for a woman to do this and then a rival publication sent somebody else to try and you know, could have matched the record. And they also sent a woman. Yes. Yes, they sent Elizabeth Bisland. And Elizabeth Bisland should be known as well. But I couldn't, Nellie just wouldn't let me deal with anybody else. I had to, <laughs> I could only follow Nellie. I tried to get a friend of mine to go to do the journey of Elizabeth Bisland. Elizabeth Bisland did the trip in 76 days. And we've never, ever heard of her because the winner takes all. 
Nellie yeah. Bly did it in 72. Now, one of the worst things that ever happened to Nellie was in Hong Kong when she was told the, about Elizabeth Bisland. She didn't even know that they'd sent Elizabeth. The, it was actually today's Cosmopolitan magazine. So they didn't know that that they had sent uh, Elizabeth Bisland the op, going the opposite direction. And when Nellie found out, they told her she was it was over because Elizabeth was already three days ahead of her and Nellie Bly being Nellie Bly. When she heard this, her heart was breaking and she wanted to burst into tears, but she just said, I am not racing against anybody else. I'm racing against time. And I said, I'm going to do the trip in 75 days and I'll do it in 75 days. So she kept her nerve, but she was devastated and um, it's interesting since you mentioned Elizabeth Bisland. Actually, Nellie Bly and her had quite a bit in common. Um, they both were journalists, and neither one of them had children. And believe it or not, they're buried within, oh gosh, yards practically uh, in Woodlawn Cemetery. So I, when I went to New York, to retrace her steps there. I also went to Woodlawn Cemetery and I had roses and I gave Elizabeth Bisland a rose on her tombstone. And then I went and gave um, the, the other 11, put those on Nellie Bly's tombstone. And, and also in that same cemetery is Nellie Bly's editor, Joseph Pulitzer. Um, so there's quite a crew there of people that were associated wow. with this journey. But I just feel... Sorry that we don't hear more about Elizabeth Bisland. Elizabeth Bisland was not as self-promoting as Nellie Bly. Elizabeth Bisland didn't really even want to do it. She she was more of a literary journalist, yeah. but they convinced her to do it. And she wrote a book as well. So oh, I don't blame her. Here's Elizabeth Bisland. Um, let's just pay a little tribute to Elizabeth Bisland because I, they never met. They never met. They didn't even compare notes. Wow. So when you were planning to follow in the footsteps, talk us a bit about how you planned that. What maps did you use? And, uh, and, and what was the route? Okay. Um, I used, uh, I have to say I used mostly maps on the internet, although we have a wonderful atlas that when sometimes that was better to consult. But I needed to, I wanted to do her journey the way she did it. I wanted to go on steamships or at least uh, at least vessels, um, but most of the routes are no longer on the map. And that's because of history. But sadly to say in these present times, it's also about conflict. And um, so many routes have been shut and I guess even more will be now too. So I wasn't able to do that. Rosemary, could could uh you just give us a sense of the different places that she actually went to? Sure, I can. I can tell you. Yes, she started in New York, um, and she and she went for eight days to uh, all the way to Southampton, England, and then she um, she took a train up to Waterloo, and she had four hours to buy the rest of the tickets around the world to actually get a passport because she didn't have a passport. So she had to go to the American legation, what we would call embassy now, to get a passport. And there's a funny story about that. I'll tell you later if we have time. 
And then from there, she took, um, she went to, uh, she went to France. On the way, she was invited by Jules Verne, the author of the book that inspired her journey around the world in 80 days. She, she was invited to visit him in Amiens in France. She really, really wanted to, but she was so intent on winning this race. She really had to make sure that it wouldn't make too much of a difference. Although it took two days, it took her 180 miles and several train journeys way out of her way. But like every risk she tended to take, it really paid off because Jules Verne and her and his wife, Honorine Verne, and their dog, Follette, really got along very well. A little bit later, I have a quote from Nellie Bly's book about the map that she saw at Jules Verne's house. So they had a wonderful time together. Um, from there, she she was really quite tight. She had to get back to Calais. Many of us know Calais. And from Calais, she was going across Europe to Italy. She then crossed Italy. She went to some places that I couldn't go to because if the foreign office doesn't approve these places and you get into trouble, you're on your own. So she from she went to Brindisi and then she went to Sri Lanka. She went to Ceylon. Um, and so did I. I stayed in the same hotel she stayed in. Then she went to Singapore. And so did I. And uh, she she went to um, she went to Yemen, which at the time was called Aden. I was not able to go there. And she also traveled through the north um, of Egypt. And again, the foreign office said, also my family said, you can go, but please be as safe as you can. So I was sorry to miss those two places because I now work with asylum seekers from Yemen. Um, but anyway, after Singapore, I was able to go to and visit the many places that she uh, was saw there. Hong Kong, I told you where she met, um, found out about Elizabeth Bisland. Then she went to the place that kind of intrigued us both the most, Canton, China, Guangzhou. Um, and after that, she went to Japan, which she totally fell in love with because she was very, very, very American. Um, she loved America. She loved seeing the stars and stripes. And she didn't really have anything good to say about any country except America until she got to Japan. Um, from Japan, she sailed across the ocean. Um, and she went to San Francisco. And from San Francisco, she took a series of trains to get back to New York. Um, so that that was her journey. And mine followed it as closely as I could, giving, keeping in mind places that were determined to be unsafe. You know what I love about this? Your sense of enthusiasm is to say she did it yesterday. Like, you're really, like, sweeping us along with this story. And you know what? If we're not careful, this podcast can end up being about three hours long because I could yeah. listen to you all day long, Mrs. But, right, next um, we have Nick Roworth in Holland, and he's going to tell us all about the place where he used to work in uh, 1990. So uh, Nick Roworth. In 1990, after being made redundant, I managed to get a job in the Netherlands. I worked near Utrecht for four years. I first rented and then bought a house in Bussum through a colleague at work. 
This is a town southwest of Amsterdam and north of Hilversum, on the edge of the Isselmere. The Isselmere is shown on old maps as the Zyder's A, South Sea, but after the Aslaus dike was built, cutting it off from the North Sea, the water turned from salt to fresh, so it was renamed, and the dikes around Bussen became obsolete, far from being used as cycle paths. Part of the Isselmere has been reclaimed to form Flevoland. The neighbouring settlement of Narden, or as I would say in my best North Solids accent, Narda, is built inside a star-shaped fortress and has a moat. Although it actually has a city charter, constrained by the fortress walls, it could not grow, so remained tiny, and Bussum grew to be a lot larger, especially if it was on a direct train line to Amsterdam. Although Hilversum is now the centre of Dutch broadcasting, the very first television broadcast was from Bussum. While living there, I tried to learn Dutch, which is quite hard as most Dutch speak perfect English, as well as most other languages, so time to practice is almost impossible, especially as if you make a tiny mistake they will refuse to understand you. My Dutch teacher said she lived in Sandman's Lawn, and her house was easy to find, as all the other houses are wooden. This interested me, and after a bit of research, I found out that in 1853, the Circles Act was passed. This formed forbidden circles where houses had to be able to be quickly pulled or burnt down to create a free field of fire for the cannons on the Narden ramparts. This meant they were built of wood. My teacher's house had accidentally burnt down and as the law was repealed by them, was rebuilt more traditionally. Although not a working fort now, displays of fire and fire are still given on some days. Historically it was quite important and it even had a role in the Second World War where British bombers, returning from the raids in Germany, used its distinctive star shape as a navigation aid, something like, get to the star town and then turn left. It's well worth looking at on Google Maps or Earth, and if you visit, try and go on a display day, and don't forget to take in the rather magnificent wooden houses in Bussum. Now is the point in the show, everybody, where you can actually ask a question to our Rosemary Brown, to my cousin Rosemary yeah. Uh, so feel free to ask her a question about her travels, uh, about Nelly, uh, and maybe about even about you know um, how she researched uh, her book. Feel free to unmute yourself and, and go forth and ask a good one. Uh, but generally, Claire, uh, people are always a little bit reticent to be first. So, so why don't you ask a supplemental question and that will warm people up. I mean, there's just so much to be interested in, I suppose. What was your most hair-raising moment as you went round? Oh, my, um, yes, that's interesting because Nellie Bly came into Hong Kong on a monsoon. I came into Hong Kong with a typhoon on the way, and it was really imminent. And um, I had 24 hours to race around Hong Kong and try to find all the places where she'd been. Well, as you all know, Hong Kong's overdeveloped, so a lot of the places that she'd been weren't there. But in any case, I wasn't quite fast enough, um, and so <laughs> uh, I was. Come, I, I finally, um, when I got back to my hotel, it was sh- Hong Kong was shut down completely. It was a typhoon level eight, which is very high. And I, st- I tried to go to sleep, but mostly I was kind of listening to Typhoon Watch to find out because I needed to get to China the next day. I had to go to China because it took me a very long time to get a visa for China because I've worked on human rights in China for 12 years and they kind of know me. 
Um, and but anyway, so I got up the next morning. It was no better than it was the night before. In fact, it was worse. And I just thought, what am I going to do? And and this is kind of fun. This is how Nellie Bly influenced me. I walked out into the typhoon and I looked at it and I ran back into the hotel. And then I thought, what would Nellie Bly do? So I put my raincoat on and I went out into the typhoon and I got myself to the train station, even though there were no flights, the stock market was shut, there was nothing around. But when I got to the train station, the trains were actually running. So that was my most difficult uh, situation. And Nellie Bly saw me through. And you know how I know Nellie Bly helped me with that? This train... It was an intercity train from Hong Kong to Guangzhou to Canton, you know, Canton in her day. There were no passengers on it except for one. And for some reason, they, uh, my seat reservation was right next to his. And, we, and I just thought, oh, I want some space. I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to de-typhoonize. I want to chill out. In the end, though, we had a lovely chat and we, were, we ordered breakfast. Would you believe I looked up? He had a replica. He had a Nellie Bly. He was carrying a Nellie Bly bag. Meeny, 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 meeny. I mean, who on earth would be carrying a Gladstone bag? Okay, so that was probably my most harrowing, but then exciting moment to find that she was helping me to go around the world. Fantastic. So Laura's popped a couple of questions in. Um, Laura, do you want to unmute and ask the questions? Please. Okay. (laughs) I'm a writer, so I prefer writing questions. So, but I would love to talk to you, Rosemary, at some point about the writing process of the book, but it might not be of interest to everyone. So my first question was, um, you had at the very beginning said that the only country she came to really admire was Japan. And I don't have any experience, um, traveling in the quote unquote, for Far East. But it just seems to me like Japan really is so iconic and so special. And I would love to go there someday. So what did Nellie say about it? Oh, she loved it. She loved the, the people. She loved the women. She said their lips were like cherries. She loved the children. She loved the cleanliness and hygiene because she'd been in like after coming from Canton. I mean, I don't know if anybody's been there, but it's I, it's you know, if you visit the markets, <laughs> you're not sure what they're selling. <laughs> I mean, some of it, the things in some of the jars. Anyway, so she loved the cleanliness. She loved the people. She loved, even loved the chopsticks. Um, so she loved, she said she loved everything about Japan and that if she ever got married, she'd want to bring her loved one there and settle in Japan. But she never did. She never did. She never did, but she did love it. And I did too. I'd never been there before. I had been to Sri Lanka and of course I'd been to New York, but I hadn't been to Japan, but I was delighted with it too. It's just beautiful. Right. Did that answer your question? Very much so. I'm ready to go. (laughs) Yeah, you got to go. I'm going to go again when we can, when it's a little bit easier. I'm going to go to Eric because he's got his hand up and then I'm going to come back to the questions in the chat. Hi, Eric. Hi. Hi there. Um, I, my question was about uh, her marriage to Robert Seaman, um, who's obviously a, quite a famous industrialist here in the United States, and um, how kind of being part of that 
um, Gilded Age society might have affected uh, her attitude, you know, when she went and, and took on uh, things like, you know, the investigative journalism. And then, of course, the, the, the trip around the world that we're talking about. I'm going to mute myself again now. Yeah, um, you've done your homework. Thank you, Eric. Yes, she did marry Robert Seaman and she and he was at least 40 years older than her. She always said she was going to marry a millionaire and she did. But she had already gone around the world and (laughs) isn't she great? She'd already done her trip around the world and she'd already, um, of course, uh, pioneered investigative journalism. Uh, at first, the couple didn't get along too well. Um, Nellie was quite headstrong, as you can tell. Um, but in the end, <laughs> in the end, she became, um, a businesswoman and she was working with him on his company, with his company. Um, and, uh, she even patented. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. ...some new inventions for his company. And she, um, when he died... She took over as president and she brought in all kinds of wonderful things, workers' rights. She had um, education for the workers. She, she, they were paid properly. There was a lot of innovative things that she enacted. Unfortunately, she's a much better writer than a businesswoman. And some of the, some of the employees, um, well, probably only one, and we probably know who was embezzling from the company. So a very, the ironclad company they went bankrupt. And that was very, very upsetting for Nellie Bly. Oh, Sarah, did you want to ask her a question? Hi, good to talk to you. Yeah, just wanted to know if Nellie went on any further travels or if she'd gone around the world. She said, well, that's it. I've seen it all now. I've I've had enough. No, probably um, as you are, I'm assuming all of you are travelers, that the more you travel, the more you want to travel. And in fact, she did uh, do more traveling, but but she didn't really do it for this, you know, for a story. She, in fact, was on the front line of, uh, of the war because she was she happened to be in Austria when um, the war broke out. And so she was there on the Serbian border when the war broke out and she was writing newspaper stories. So she was a war correspondent and she loved coming to Europe. And so her husband and her, Mr. Seaman, um, I think they were just traveling in Europe for three years um, after they got married. Uh, I'm feeling like a complete underachiever. (laughs) (laughs) But this is in 1890, and she died in 1922. And in fact, this year is the 100th anniversary of her death. And also, I think it's very interesting that um, Tuesday will be International Women's Day, and the entire month of March is devoted to uh, women in history. So good timing, Claire and Rose- <laughs> Rosemary. Th- th- let me let you. I'll let you into a little bit of a secret. That's the reason why we got you on. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what are we going to have to do? No hot air balloons. No, no hot air balloons. But <laughs> sorry, that would have been fun. <laughs> what we're going to have to do? We're going to have to do the quiz. 
because I know there's uh, uh, the listeners of the, uh, the viewers on 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 Zoom are chomping at the bit uh, to win the accolade of uh, the person who's going to do the audio postcard next month. That's how we how, that's how we uh, do do it, Rosemary. Um, yeah. And then maybe if we've got another couple of minutes, we'll come back to you because you're so, you're good. You know, Nell, Nell, Nelly's excellent, but you're pretty much up there as well yourself. Um, but anyway, let let's do the quiz. <laughs> And 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 then see if we've got any time to come back to Rosemary, to my good cousin Rosemary. Question number one, and of course, whoever um, wins the quiz um, has the the privilege of doing the audio postcard. Uh, I'll just so- say that the theme here is that every question is about a place that Nellie Bly passed through on her journey. Yay! But it's not about the journey, or particularly, it's just a random question about various places. Yeah, good. Alrighty, no, question number one. Nellie Bly's journey. Southampton, the mighty ordnance survey is based in Southampton, but when did it move its base there? Was it in A, 1899, B, 1939, or C, 1969? So the mighty ordnance survey is based in Southampton, but when did it move its base there? Was it 1899? Was it uh, n- uh, 1939, or was it C, 1969? When did Ordnance Survey move its base to Southampton? I'm loving Rosemary's concentrated face here. You could be in this to win this, Rosemary, and you could do the possible <laughs> next time. So, you know, keep on. Right. Again, Nellie Bly's journey. Brindisi, uh, the Tarantissimo ter- uh, cult is significant in Brindisi. What does it think causes hysteria in women? Is it A, rancid milk, B, a spider bite, or C, too much wine? The Tarantissimo cult is significant in Brindisi. What does it think causes hysteria in women? Is it A, rancid milk, B, a spider bite, or C, too much wine? Suez. What's what's the name of the lake which forms part of the Suez Canal? Is it A, the Great Salt Lake, B, the Great Sand Lake, or C, the Great Bitter Lake? What is the name of the lake which forms part of the Suez Canal? Is it A, the Great Salt Lake, B, the Great Sand Lake, or C, the Great Bitter Lake? These are not easy, yet again, Claire. Just saying. That was a geography question. Right. Mm. Colombo. What tree is associated with Colombo? A, a mango tree, B, a nutmeg tree, or C, a papaya tree? So, Colombo, what tree is associated with it? Is it A, a mango tree, B, a nutmeg tree, or C, a papaya tree? Claire, these are fiendish. They really are. Singapore. How many official languages does Singapore have? A, three, B, four, or C, five? How many official languages does Singapore have? Is it three, four, or five? Whew. Hong Kong. Hong Kong is the city with the world's largest number of skyscrapers. How many? Is it A, 248, B, 482, or C, 824? See what you did with the numbers there, Claire. Hong Kong is the city with the world's largest number of skyscrapers. I did not know that. So hence, I have no idea what the answer is. Is it A, 248, B, 482 or C, 824? Question number seven. Yokohama. 
Which of the following is not a museum in Yokohama? I had a lot of fun with this question, might yes. I just say. <laughs> is it A, the Cup Noodles Museum, B, the Tin Toy Museum, C, the Curry Museum, D, the Robot Museum, or E, the Tattoo Museum? Which of the following is not, in caps, a museum in Yokohama? The Cup Noodles Museum, the Tin Toy Museum, the Curry Museum, the Robot Museum, or the Tattoo Museum? Claire, how many of these questions are you expecting people to actually know? Actually have squirrel, you know, the knowledge squirreled away in their brains? Somewhere between random and educated guesses. No, the these are all random. Claire, every last one of these is quite random, with the possible exception of the lake in, you know, next to Suez. That's the one I was, maybe somebody will know. I don't know, but like, good grief. Anyway, I'm expecting you, Rosemary, my, my, my cousin, uh, to get all of these right, of course. All right, now, San Francisco. In Oh, my gosh, one I know. Yay, I know Yay! this one. <laughs> San Francisco, in what year was 80% of San Francisco devastated by an earthquake? Was it A, 1902? Hmm. Was it B... 1906. Look at my face, everybody. Or C, 1910. All right, let me read those again. If you listen to this on the podcast, you're going to say, Royfield, I'm on a podcast. I can't see your face. All right, so listen to the intonation in my voice. So at least you get one of these right, right? Because these are hard this month. San Francisco. In what year was 80% of San Francisco devastated by an earthquake? Was it A, 1902 or was it b 1906 or was it c 1910 there we go claire i actually think these are probably your hardest ever i I mean maybe maybe you'll have to start taking over the quiz (laughs) no 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 you do a great job claire fantastic Uh, well you see (laughs) Right, um, what what comes next, Miss Asprey? Shall we do a quick round-up of the socials? Absolutely. So, um, once again, some really interesting stuff on the Map Corner social media. Um, <clears throat> and I think, it, I, mean, I know we're not an especially timely podcast because, you know, there's a lag between recording and, and putting out and stuff, but obviously, um, they, you know, there's a lot going on in the world right now and there's some good maps that... Um, were retweeted around Twitter uh, around how we present uh, conflict uh, in terms of maps. And so that's worth looking at on the Map Corner hashtag. Um, And on a a lighter note, um, and this has been true on the Twitter and on the Facebook, but I love how the Map Corner listeners and many more have really got behind the um, sort of global game phenomenon that is Worldle, not Wordle, Worldle, uh, so I see quite a lot of activity around that. I've been doing it every day. Some days good, some days not so good. Uh, and the other one that I do is Wardle, which is very much in my particular niche because it is local authority boundary areas in the UK. Um, and you have to be a real local government nerd in the UK to really care about that one. It's my favourite. So uh, uh, just a kind of like a big up Wardle. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that's been some of the stuff that uh, that's on the Twitter in terms of the Facebook group, uh, the most commented piece of the last month was um, 
where Pat uh, Hanavan has posted the map showing the numbering system for US highways, which I still don't entirely understand, if I'm totally honest, but um, there was a lot of discussion around that one. And I really, uh, really enjoyed seeing the map because I've never really contemplated it before, even though I have got a sense of the clock face thing for the UK. So uh, that was a good one. And then uh, I have to mention the amazing personal map from Stephen Noak, um, who is a car delivery person in the UK and has delivered cars all around the country, uh, has basically created a personal impressions map showing which areas are more friendly. I'm very sad to say that Bedfordshire, which is my home county, is in the sent to Coventry section, i.e., most unfriendly, uh, whereas Broyfield would be very pleased to hear that Birmingham is in the pretty friendly category, um, which I think is probably fair. So, um, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, Another one I'd uh, flag would be uh, Jen, uh, who uh, posted the one around uh, TV shows and their locations, their filming locations uh, across the UK, which is uh, always a lot of fun where people are doing that. So, um, and I just want to have a very quick uh, honourable mention for Stephen Bowden because I posted a map the other day about uh, it was a map from our, our friend uh, Simon Kusimaka about the roots of uh, all the visits that Pope John Paul II did uh, and he just put all roads lead to Rome or away from Rome and I was like oh why didn't I think of that that was such a good line so um, you know I take my hat off to uh, Stephen Bowden for that amazing line about all roads leading to Rome because it was just the right one for that map. So that's some of the stuff that's been going on. But, you know, join the Facebook group, post the stuff you're interested in, discuss the things that are up there. Um, we're a friendly bunch, and uh, it's nice to see everyone active on the socials. I don't know how friendly you actually are. I think there's some intellectual warfare going on with the, the trickiness of these questions, Claire. <laughs> it's like, wow, right. the, 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 these are pretty tricky. But um, let's go on to the answers right now uh have you girded yourself are you all ready and correct uh rosemary right so yeah, i'm gonna okay. come to you uh for some of the answers well for oh. the answers so, uh, yeah i know I, I, yeah trepidation i i fully understand why why you might be uh feeling that right now because these are not easy right so southampton the mighty ordnance survey is based in southampton but when did it move its base there I'm not really expecting you to know, Rosemary. And we actually did have somebody on from Ordnance Survey in one of our earliest um, editions. Um, but right, so the answers are, the choices are uh, 19, sorry, 1899, 1939 or 1969. Uh, Rosemary, can you hazard a guess? I guess 1969. You are right. Yay! <laughs> wow, one for one. Well done, well done, my cousin. All right, let's move on yes. to question number two. Mm, uh, the Tarantissimo cult is significant in Brindisi. What does it think causes hysteria in women? Is it rancid milk, a spider bite, or too much wine? Rosemary? I said B, spider bite. Yes! And let me tell you a story, because I knew this one anyway, because in my grade two ballet exam, I had to dance a tarantella, which is the cure for this hysteria, where in this cult, you had to dance for like two or three days or something nonstop. Uh, And uh, yeah, anyway, I don't know how realistic it was, but I had a tambourine. That's what I remember. There was things about, 
he had to dance with a tambourine for a long time and that cured the hysteria, although God only knows why that would be the case. But there you go. That's my knowledge of the Tarantella and the Tarantino cult. Mm. Coolio, question number three. Uh, Suez, what's mm. the name of the lake which forms part of the Suez Canal? Is it A, the Great Salt Lake, B, the Great Sand Lake, or C, the Great Bitter Lake? Rosemary? I said B, the Great Sand Lake. Oh, uh, well, that's not right. The answer is the, the Bitter Lake, the Great okay. Bitter Lake. I should. I think I should have known that because Nellie Bly went on the Suez Canal. Oh well. Uh, no, question number four: Colombo. What tree is associated with Colombo? Is it A a mango tree, B a nutmeg tree, or C a papaya tree? Rosemary. I'm trying again, Claire. I think it's nutmeg. B. It's mango. Oh, rats! It's like in the crest or something. So yeah. Okay. I would have guessed mango, but I guess it was have been uh now uh, singapore how many official languages does singapore have this one foxed me uh completely uh does it have a three b four or c five how many official languages does singapore have rosemary yes could you do that one me yeah right um so singapore's at the end of the malay peninsula yep and was part of the Federation of Malaysia for about a year to become independent in about 1965. Obviously, English is going to be one. A Malay language is going to be number two. I'm going to guess because there's a large Chinese population there that um, Cantonese, three... So there's three kind of obvious ones, but yeah. there's going to be different Malay languages. So... There's obviously three. I'm going to go for... It's either three or four. It cannot be five. I'm going to go for A, three. Uh -uh. No, sorry. Uh, It's four because it's English, Malay, Mandarin and Tamil. And I said Cantonese, didn't I? Oh, there's a large Indian population there. But there are so many Indian languages to choose from. I don't know where you would have started with that. So, yeah. Oh, but well. you were close, and I liked the I liked your thinking out loud, Royfield. You were you were right on track. Well, I wasn't. I was wrong, Claire. Well, I know, but you were nearly there. <laughs> You're being generous, but thank you. Question number six: Hong Kong. Hong Kong is a city with the world's largest number of skyscrapers, but how many? Is it A two hundred and forty-eight, B four hundred and eighty-two, or C eight hundred and twenty-four? Utterly no idea. But when you see those photos of um, Hong Kong. It is just a forest of skyscrapers. It is utterly phenomenal because uh, obviously they've got no more land to build on. Uh, I've no idea. Uh, Rosemary? Well, I was going to take a guess at the uh, C824. It's another one I should know because I was there. I should have counted them. <laughs> <laughs> if only you'd known that many years later you'd be on a podcast and we'd ask you the exact question. Uh, no, it's 482, although that's plenty busy enough, I imagine. Yep. For the land space, yes. Uh, Yokohama, which of the following is not, I repeat, not a museum in Yokohama? The Cup Noodles Museum, the Tin Toy Museum, the Curry Museum, the Robot Museum or the Tattoo Museum? (sighs) Rosemary, these are fiendish. This is hard. I'm pretty sure they've got a Cup Noodles Museum and 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 they definitely have a doll museum. I just guessed the Curry Museum. 
So the answer is the Robot Museum. There is one in Tokyo, but not in Yokohama. Um, But I just had such a good time on the kind of traveler page of Yokohama. The the museum range in Yokohama is, I mean, it's worth the visit. Frankly, it it sounds like a lot of fun. And the last one, I think this was the only one I was utterly... Well, I thought you would know, definitely. Most, you know, uh, sure of. So San Francisco, in what year was 80% of San Francisco devastated by an earthquake? Is it A, 1902, B, 1906, or C, 1910? And Rosemary, the answer? Well, you gave us the answer, didn't you? I did. B, 1906. All right. Now, uh, good people, there is the most wonderful um, video which you can watch on YouTube, and I really recommend everybody watch this. It's San Francisco, type in San Francisco 1905, and it's it's shot down Market Street, so it's one of the earliest bits of uh, cinema, um, of movie film, and it lasts for about 10 minutes, and it's on the front of a tram, and it just goes down Market Street, which is the main thoroughfare in San Francisco, and ends at Embarcadero. It is phenomenal in terms of the amount of cars on the road in 1905, how people crossed the roads in 1905. There's no pedestrian crossings. People just cross whenever. Cars weave in and out of people. As a period piece, you'll be utterly transfixed to see the world 115, 17 years ago. It is phenomenal and then to think the next year gone all flattened in the earthquake it is and it and there are so many different versions of this i think there's a colorized version i've I've watched um there's one which has the music to the french electronica band air beautiful just like at the end of this podcast recording Whatever you're doing, if you got, if you promised your loved one, you're going to go to the hardware store. If you have to cut the lawn, make dinner, forget it. Watch this on YouTube, and I swear to high heaven, you will thank me. It is utterly transfixing in terms of the detail, the period dress, and people going about their lives in 1905 in San Francisco, and then a year later, all gone, with the exception of, of the ferry building in Barcadero. Please watch it. Right, Claire. Whew. Um, this is this has been qu- quite a show, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> right now, uh, before uh, we go on any further, I go to the good uh, viewers on Zoom and I say, right, which one of you clever people, Fiona Powell, looking at you, you've got your pen uh, in your mouth, you're going, yeah, I, I, Fiona, you've nailed this, I know you have. All right. There were eight questions, everyone. Who got all eight correct? Okay, right. I know Rebecca's looking, yeah, you're looking confident, aren't you, Rebecca? You're thinking, I've nailed seven. Who got seven correct? All right, so Chloe M, who you you came late, but not too late to do the quiz. Laura and Jennifer, if I call out the number which you have, just unmute yourself and say, that's what I got, Royfield. Right, so who got six correct? Right, tense. Wow, <laughs> this is very tense. Oh, Who got five correct? Oh, Yay! right now, Pat and Rebecca both got five. Tell us the ones you got wrong. So why don't you unmute yourself, Pat, and tell us uh, what uh, where you were in error? 
Uh, let's see. I did not get the ordinance survey, nor nutmeg, nor the. I I chose the I, I chose nutmeg instead of mango, and uh, the curry museum instead of robot. Oh, me too. Um, those were the ones. Mm. The only two I actually knew for sure were the uh, spider bite and the earthquake, which I knew without you, Royfield. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You're American. Speaking hey, American folklore. Um, Rebecca, where, were you, where did you slip up, shall we say? Um, also on the uh, – I also picked Curry Museum, so mm. – that one wrong. Um, the number of skyscrapers. Way off. But you must have got another one wrong as well. Though. And also, let's see. Try to remember. I missed five, six, and seven. Which was <laughs> three more. So the, the skyscrapers. Oh, um, number of languages. Languages. Yeah. Right. Now, as the official adjudicator, I've adjudicated as to who's actually going to win the accolade of being uh, the cleverest person on the map corner podcast recording uh, in the month of March. And I think it's somewhat apt that we have two women who uh, share this, share the accolade of actually winning uh, this month of all months. But Pat, you know, I love you dearly. Right. However, Rebecca, I'm going to give it to you for no other reason than Pat, won it just a few months back and gave an audio <laughs> postcard. So, Rebecca, well done. Props to you. You've won this month, which means you have to give us an audio postcard. And anywhere on planet Earth that you have any kind of connection to, we will accept it and it will grace a future episode of Matt Corner. How do you feel? I, I feel like I need to figure out the best way to uh, to make this audio postcard. So I'll <laughs> <laughs> You know what? It's quite simple. Talk into your phone and then just send us the voice note. That's what people do. Brilliant. Ooh. I am, you know, I, I'm somewhat in awe, uh, Cousin Rosemary, of your the, the passion that you've displayed towards uh, uh, Nellie. You know, as I said before, I kind of feel like she just did the trip yesterday and you're still on a sugar high, you know, because of that, you know, as opposed to you did it 100 plus years ago. But my goodness, you are enthusiastic. And, and it's, um, you know, somewhat uh, amazing that you also then did uh, the trip as well. Or as much of it as you could do. Nothing doesn't work on a podcast, Rosemary. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> of course it doesn't. I'm sorry. Yes. Uh, thank you. I'm, I, uh, yes, I really do feel that uh, female explorers, women explorers, really need to be brought put on the map um many of them are forgotten and hidden and there's plenty out there to discover and i think now maybe more than ever before we need them as role models uh we need them everybody not just women um we need them as role models because we've been through a lot with the pandemic and we um we might have our comfort zones might have shrunk a bit, but these women back when it was so difficult to travel and even before Victorian times, of course, they got out there and did it. So I hope that they can be an inspiration and Nellie can be an inspiration to get us back, back into our um, being, taking some risks and doing some adventures, whatever they may be. It might be camping in your backyard. It might be going to Japan. Also, Nellie Bly always said nothing is impossible. So I think it's important that we have that kind of message in these very, very tough times. 
So she's role model. Do you want to say a little bit, Rosemary, about the um, kind of tribute statue thing um, to uh, Nellie that was made in New York, was it recently? Yes. Um, So Nellie Bly was forgotten for all these years, but um, uh, I think there were quite a few of us that were trying to get her back on the map. And now um, on the 10th of December, I was back in New York. I was traveling again to be there for the unveiling of a monument to Nellie Bly by Amanda Matthews. And it is spectacular. It's very symbolic. Um, there's, you can look it up. It's called the girl puzzle, the girl puzzle, which is named after the first published article that Nellie ever had. So it's the girl puzzle. And you'll see that it's almost like a puzzle because it's not just Nellie. It's Nellie and four other women that represent the type of people that she championed, um, in her journalism. So I think it's so important, like, like in the UK, there are more statues of animals than there are of women. So it's the sort of thing where we really want to remind ourselves of these phenomenal people uh, and, and commemorate them with those sort of you know, tributes. Yes. Now, um, I just, Pat just mentioned, it's this, Nellie Bly is, is from Western Pennsylvania, but the new installation is on Roosevelt Island in New York, just steps away from the very insane asylum that she entered to create investigative journalism. I think the Pittsburgh airport has a, as a statue of her now, but this installation is in New York where she pioneered investigative reporting. And it, I mean, just look it up. It's a, it's a wonderful, uh, it's 60 feet long. It's on a runway 60 feet on, on this tiny, well, almost kind of canoe-shaped island in New York, but it's, it's really spectacular. And it's really wonderful to pay tribute to Nellie and all that she stood for. Brilliant. Rosemary, cousin Rosemary, thank you again for, for gracing thank us you. Uh, with your effervescentness on, on our podcast uh, this month. You've been um, such a, a, a wonderful guide into... Uh, exploring the life of Arnelli, a foremost female explorer who did something somewhat rather extraordinary in a time where women couldn't even, as you said, work by themselves in New York City, but she travelled all around the world. You know, utterly mind-blowing achievement. And thank you for bearing witness and testimony to her on Map Corner. Now, Claire, um, do you have a map? fact of the month well i do um but it is as you mentioned um slightly contested uh within our facebook group but um i thought it was a lot of fun uh but um kelly schroeder posted uh, a thing into the facebook group about how alaska has the easternmost point in the usa because it's across the international date line and I thought, oh, that's a really cool map fact. I'll use that. And then there was a lot of discussion about, well, the sun doesn't rise there before anywhere else. And anyway, so like, um, I'm sure there are technicalities around this, but I thought that was quite a fun fact. So uh, that's my map fact of the month. That in theory, the most easternmost part of the United States is actually attached to the westernmost part, I guess, um, just over the line. Cool. Uh, that that that's a map which uh, sits well with me. Uh, a map and a fact. Uh, so there you go, folks. Uh, you've had, um, I think, one of the best ever in the whole annals of uh, Map Corner Zooms ever. So, Rosemary. Wow. Rosemary, <laughs> thank you. 
Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you for your interest and mm-hmm. in, in for inviting no, no. me. Stop it. Great. Pleasure is all ours. Pleasure is all ours. And if you haven't got this book, everybody, uh, you need to go get it. Just remind <laughs> us the name of the book, Rosemary. <laughs> Following Nellie Bly, her record-breaking race around the world. <laughs> and, and I'm hazarding a, a guess that people can get that at all books, bookstores and bookstores on the internet, especially the one named after Brazilian rainforest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. So go get it, folks, uh, because uh, if, Thank it's you for the half, <laughs> if it's if it's only half as uh, good as uh, Rosemary's been on this episode, it's a rip-roaring read. So there you go, folks. Uh, that's me. Uh, Claire, is it time for us to fold up our maps? It's time to fold up our maps. And just a reminder that next month we're recording on the 9th of April and our guest is going to be the man who literally wrote the book on cartography, Kenneth Field, super cartographer. Boom. There you go, folks. You know, Rosemary Brown, uh, one month. And then who next month? Kenneth Field. There you go. Kenneth Field next month. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Map Corner. It's awesome. And so are you two. Thanks. Oh, and don't forget, write us a review on iTunes because we need more reviews. Okay. Uh, Rosemary, were you about to say something? No, I was just going to. I'm writing a message to myself to remember to write a review. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and you can say, oh, that um, Rosemary was amazing. Best episode. <laughs> anyway, and, um, I had a great time. Thank you very much. <laughs>